It's Tuesday, June 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris L. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Good to be here. It's good to be back. Always good to have you in the studio. As we just wrapped up 10 minutes of Sports Talk conversation. <laughs> Which we won't repeat here. Which we won't repeat here. Though many of you would have liked it. Uh, I, I, think, I think some would have. Some would have. And if we ever do a sports business podcast, the working title that we just came up with, you, me, and Austin Morgan, who's behind the glass today, the working title we came up with was Marginally Decent Sports Talk Radio. Yeah. We'd well, have to throw business in there, but... And and who would you have from the regulars of of this uh, podcast? That who would who would you want to come in? You would you would be in this. Uh, uh, Matt Argusinger, marginally decent. That's (laughs) there's no higher compliment on this show. Exactly, it's not this show that does not yet exist. Exactly, that guy's marginally decent. Marginally decent. Uh, We're going to talk about the movie business. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with the deal of the day. And that is Martha Stewart, Living Omni Media, going private. We talk from time to time about IPOs, hot IPOs, companies going public. This is the somewhat rare occasion of a public company going private. A, a group I'd never heard of before called Sequential Brands Group is buying Martha Stewart, Living Omni Media, for $350 million. Martha will remain with the company as chief creative officer. This, um, I, I guess, I would put this in the category of Martha had a good run, but it almost, it almost certainly had to come to this end because, from the standpoint of the valuation of this company, from the standpoint of the stock, uh, this was a company and a stock that had, frankly, seen much better days, and now going private, at, uh, being bought out at. Somewhere in the neighborhood of just north of six dollars a share, three hundred fifty million dollars. I don't know. It's it's a fraction of what this company was once worth. Yeah, I think I don't know if we've talked about this on this uh, podcast. That what my superpower would be. Um, I think it's come up once before, but remind even longtime listeners are probably scratching their heads saying, "I'm I'm not sure what he's referring to." Right. For most people, it's flight. Or super strength, invisibility, yep. Yep. all classics. Those are all classics. Uh, but if you had if one superpower, it would be the the superpower, the ability to leave at the right time, uh, leave a, a, a conversation, leave a party, leave, leave a podcast uh, that surely some of our listeners have already done. <laughs> Those who have the superpower have already left. Right, yeah. a relationship, uh, you know, a job, a stock, whatever. And um, Martha Stewart does not have that power, apparently, because the right time to leave this enterprise would have been, you know, 2004 or, or better yet, I don't know, 2000, maybe? No, I think 1999. So when the company went public in 1999, it did so with a valuation of $1.8 billion. So you, you could make the case that, wow, that was the time to go because now $350 million, that's that's just. Tiny compared to 1.8 billion, but for those who may not remember this, uh, Martha had to go away for a little while, uh, spent a little time in prison, and when she came back, I mean the the pessimism on the company was was pretty high. Um, David Gardner, I was chatting with him this morning. He recommended this stock, I believe, back in 2002 when it was six dollars a share, and and that was part of his. Thesis was: Look, 
they've got a lot of good things in place here. The pessimism is running high with Martha going off to prison. And uh, he made a nice gain out of the stock, not as, by his own admission, not as nice as he would have made if he had held it a little bit longer. Because uh, I think when he recommended it around six, seven dollars a share, it ended up going up to around thirty-five. Yeah, and now it's back to six. So there were times to leave this stock, and the day that it IPO'd was one of them. And uh, two thousand and five was was another. And if if you'd left the stock. Which, in a sense, you're doing when you IPO. You're you're issuing shares and taking people's money um, on that day, and so you're you're leaving part of, of your ownership and and selling it to the public. Um, that was a good time to go public. 1999 uh, was uh, heady days in the stock market. Uh, as David was right, uh, there was maybe too much pessimism baked in in, in 2002 2003 before she returned, but ultimately. Uh, although this was not visible yet, uh, there wasn't a good long-term growth story for this for this company. Uh, the the brand, the the lifestyle that Martha Stewart represents is not not a growing trend. You know, uh, millennials. I, I, you have children. Do you think they've heard of Martha Stewart? I Probably mean, not. And and you've got a 15, 15 year old. Yeah. Um, which may be a little young to be buying into some of this stuff, but but you would think that that if this were as it claims to be omnimedia everywhere, people would have heard of it. And I think with her power and luster and and omnipresence is all diminished. Uh, you know, over the last decade, really. Let's move on to the movie business because for the second week in a row, Jurassic World was the number one film at the box office um, in. About two weeks' time, the movie's taken in up somewhere in the neighborhood of $1 billion worldwide. The film is produced by Universal, which is owned by Comcast. Um, also, this weekend, Disney Pixar's latest animated film, Inside Out, was released. It came in second behind Jurassic World. It was still, however, the biggest opening ever for an original Pixar film. And maybe not surprising that the Walt Disney Company and Comcast, uh, both stocks hitting new all-time highs on Monday in the wake of really, not just really great weekends for their latest films, but the kind of box office that made it easy to envision uh, even more coming down the line. Not just in terms of additional films, that sort of thing, but just sort of, these are, these are films that are going to make a lot of money in this calendar year. Yeah, we were talking before the show started out about the the meaning of the word beloved um, in uh, the context of a sports a hero. Many would argue we won't name him here, but you would disagree that <laughs> this disagree. individual is either heroic or beloved. Uh, Pixar. I'm going to throw the Pixar most beloved company. Who doesn't love Pixar? Like, who said, I just hate those movies? Or they're just selling out? Or, I mean, it just seems like every single movie uh, is has been a hit, uh, worth watching, worth watching for parents, worth watching for kids. They're, they haven't changed and said, you know what, let's just start making them faster. Let's just start, you know, we're having success doing this. Let's do more of it. Uh, they seem to have done, you know, pressed all the right buttons in the pursuit of. Uh, both profits for for their company and for their you know employees and and for the the viewers and and I don't know I mean people, 
listeners can come up with something else that's that's equally or more beloved, but I don't know what it would be. Well, certainly in terms of the financial track record of the films, of of the Pixar animated films, uh, there's no arguing with that. They've all been hits. To your point about the creative output, it's you know some Pixar films are better creatively than others, but then on the flip side, some have a greater ability to monetize, further monetize beyond the film itself. So I would just to pick two Pixar films up, wonderful film. I believe it won the Academy Award. Uh, t- totally beloved. Also uh, directed by Pete Docter, who's the the guy who did Monsters Inc. and did Inside Out. Uh, Up is not really creating a lot of additional value for the Disney company in the in terms of consumer products, that kind of thing. On the other hand, you take a sequel like Cars Two, which it's a fine movie. Uh, it's made. Uh, God only knows how many hundreds of millions of dollars for the company in terms of additional products. Uh, so, so you know they've been doing this for twenty years, and Cars Two is the closest I think you would come to saying that was just a back to the bank, um, right. which is what Michael J. Fox thought that Back to the Future Two should. Have oh, really? He called it Back to the Bank, um, and and because the, there was merchandising, more obvious merchandising there. But you you see, they make movies based on. The story they want to tell, apparently, and I'm sure there are business meetings that, that go into what's the merch here, but Up was not designed, although cute dogs in it, um, with the idea of like this, there's a lot of merchandising behind the old man and the <laughs> like Cub Scout. It, it just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have done that. They said, this is the movie we want to make. Um, and they, so they made it. And, Cars 2 is a more obvious merchandising opportunity, and there are probably rides at, at Disney and all things. Like Disney's beloved company, right? But a lot of people don't like everything about Disney because either they think the princesses represent something they don't want, you know, their their children sure. being following, or you know, Disney has done plenty of things with an eye toward making money um, explicitly, and, and and so Pixar just doesn't have those kinds of black marks. Uh, on it uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. And so, having come out with a movie that is, again, um, actually not number one in the box office, but close enough that, that it doesn't really matter, it's a, it's going to be a hit, is is like the least surprising thing there is in, in any year, is, oh, Pixar put out a great movie, you should see it. Also, a nice reminder that the Comcast Corporation is more... Uh, uh, not beloved. <laughs> Comcast, not a beloved brand, but... As the parent company of Universal, putting out, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but the reviews seem to be good. Certainly, it's making money hand over fist, and it is the type of movie that lends itself to further monetization, whether it's toys, apparel, certainly uh, the Universal theme parks. That yeah, sort of I mean, thing. there's absolutely there. What are the chances that uh, you know there will be another Jurassic Park movie? Whatever that number is, it's above a hundred percent. You know, I mean, whatever, whatever the theoretical, you know, it's it's. Will there be two more, three? Are they in meetings right now, plotting out Jurassic Park Part Nine as well as Part Five or wherever we are on the, uh, and 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 uh, as opposed to Inside Out, where you would say, I, I don't know, do you need another movie there? Could you do another movie? I don't know. They've got other things they'd rather do at Pixar than make. 
sequel after sequel. That said, you know they they are the next couple of movies are Finding Dory and and Toy Story Four, so they're not above returning to material once they have a story that they feel is is worth worth producing. I saw Inside Out on Sunday with two of my kids. Loved it. Just a phenomenal film. But one of the things I was thinking about afterwards was, as a Walt Disney shareholder, okay, so where does this fall on the scale of, you know, if at one end of the spectrum you've got a great film like Up, which doesn't really lend itself to toys, apparel, etc., and at the other end you have Cars and Cars 2, where does Inside Out fall in the spectrum? I'd say it is it is maybe somewhere in the middle, but leaning a little bit more to the upside, because I it's hard for me to imagine a sequel. I could see them doing a short film where these fun characters return in some uh, way, shape, or form, but uh, it's hard to see them getting a lot out of it in terms of monetization. But you know what? That's like you said. They've they've got other sequels coming down the pike, and there there, there will be a lot more. Yeah, they don't need to, and and the current relationship between the uh, you know the talent at Pixar and the the corporate heads at Disney um, seems to be a very productive one. Where if if Pixar does something that's worth coming back to and and merchandising, they Disney certainly got the power and the brand and the experience to and the audience to do that. And if if they're just making a great movie, that Disney can make make some money off great movies too. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. Question from George Dunkley, who writes, Will Apple buy Sirius XM, or is that completely absurd? I don't think it's completely absurd, but by the same token, I, I don't think they're going to buy Sirius XM. Yeah, I'd bet against it. I, it, it without knowing the motivations of um, the, the listener, the emailer, uh, some people who would ask that question are, Serious XM shareholders who just want their company to be bought for a higher amount, and God, Apple's got plenty of money. So Apple sounds like they've got the most, and why not Apple? Uh, and Apple does have a, a music strategy, and I don't follow it close enough to tell you where a Serious XM would fit into Apple's, uh, you know, world domination plans in in music. I, I suppose they they could do something with it, but I they're not a big acquisition company. Uh, notwithstanding the acquisition of Beats, um, I think that it. I would not bet. I would not bet on that. Yeah, that's you raise a good point because that will Apple buy X is something is a question that gets asked frequently frequently enough. Certainly, if you're watching financial television, um, even more frequently is an analyst sort of. Supposing, well, you know, Apple could come into this space and they could just buy blank. It's like, well, yes, technically they could because they have an ungodly amount of cash lying around. But to your point, they really don't do that. I mean, the acquisitions, to me, that was one of the more amazing things about the Beats acquisition was that Apple made that big an acquisition. Yeah, and it was so out of their normal um, operations uh, in terms of their style of rather, you know, building things in-house and doing things um, according to their own style. Now, I think Beats had a style that was consistent with where they were going on that, but you know, in terms of Sirius XM, it may be a this may be a a working girl esque brilliant. You know, why doesn't this buy this company? And and oh, that's oh, nobody thought of that, but that's brilliant, and let's make it happen. I don't know enough about 
where the music industry is is going and, and Apple's plans to to say that that isn't a brilliant idea. I just don't expect it to happen. Yeah, Morgan Housel uh, was here yesterday. We were talking about financial media, and I can't remember if he said this on the podcast or just in a previous conversation that day. But uh, in talking about News Corp and Rupert Murdoch, one of the things he said was, you know, Ru- News Corp owns a lot of newspapers in part because Rupert Murdoch l- likes owning a lot of newspapers. It's not that they're making money hand over fist. He just he just likes it. And for whatever you think about Steve Jobs. He wasn't. Uh, his ego didn't really manifest itself in a way that led to his company buying other companies just because he wanted to own them. No, he was more into stealing their best ideas and then producing them, you know, with uh, an Apple style. Uh, I think that uh, Rupert Murdoch goes way. When you way say stealing, you mean in the best possible way of a compliment. I, I mean, yeah. It's like, I hey, mean, that MP3 player that that other company made, we could make one even better. Yeah, I think that the Steve Jobs is on record as as pirating somebody else's quote that you know, good artists uh, borrow and great artists steal, and he he endorsed that, uh, and not only endorsed it but lived it. Uh, you know, with depending on how. Aggravated Xerox shareholders are with Apple's, uh, you know, taking over the um, graphical user in- interface and all that. So it, it, Apple was unabashed, as many other companies are in that space, about stealing other people's ideas and, and using them and getting away with it to the degree they can. And, and the technology world has benefited from some of that attitude. Uh, but I don't know that they want to steal uh, Sirius XM's business plan. That doesn't seem as much worth stealing as other things. The last time you were on, one of the things we talked about was Starbucks, and you took it here, as... Here we are. And here, <laughs> here we are. With, I have Starbucks. You, you've got uh, your Starbucks in front of you. Uh, you took the opportunity to vent about... We talked about the food and debated the quality of the food, and you took the opportunity to vent about your pet peeve with Starbucks, which is the lids. And of our listeners, our fabulous listeners, of course, weighed in, uh, emailing us, radio at fool.com, from Bud Turner in Palmdale, California, who clearly agrees with you. Starbucks food is terrible. I can't stand the food line. I usually get the reduced-fat turkey bacon sandwich, which is still crap, but not as crappy as the new line. Also, my cups never leak. So, Partly agreeing with you, I guess, and then from from someone who did not sign the email, but it, I'm just going by the email address. So it was Sun K eight one eight. Maybe that refers to the area code in Los in the Los Angeles area. Uh, who writes? If is, you don't, is this like giving out phone numbers? Uh, no, I'm just guessing that the eight one eight in this person's email address refers to the area code. I could very easily be wrong about that. Um, if you don't want your coffee to leak. Put the opening of the spout opposite the cup seam. Long term, Starbucks needs to give us coffee with sugar and cream already, or without the lids. Put the bar next to the coffee receiving area. Lids should go on only once to protect the integrity of the cup top. Now, it's for those that don't know. Um, yeah, it's absolutely true that you can minimize the amount of coffee that will end up on your shoes and shirt and and elsewhere. By by putting you know the the spout that you drink from opposite the, where the seam is, but you're only minimizing 
the amount of dripping that will go on because the seam is still there. And, and I don't know, there's this magical ability, even in a cup that's not completely full and is tilted away from the seam for coffee to somehow get through there. By the way, that last email I read was sent to us, but uh, feedback at Starbucks.com was CC'd on that. So, I mean, how many thousands of times do you think they've been told this? Uh, I don't know, but as I as I said last it's week, it's not just me, right? That, that the cups are attacking. But again, you're you're still going. They don't need to fix this problem. When when people en masse say, you're saying I'm they're like gonna... they're like Comcast. It's like yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm... You're stuck with us. <laughs> well, I'm saying the lids are like. The the Starbucks lids are like all of Comcast cable service. So the Starbucks coffee are the Starbucks cups are the Comcast of the coffee business. The coffee bu- cup, yeah. The cup side. If of the they business. here's the thing. I'd buy that. Yeah. If if on some future quarterly conference call, Howard Schultz has to say, yeah, comps worldwide or even just comps across North America fell eighteen percent this quarter. And based on all the feedback we've gotten, it has to do with the lids. As a result of that, we're now, you know, until that happens. Yeah. But uh, imagine if they they said, yeah, we're coming out with new, you know, we've we've spent a couple million on R and D, and and we've got these new cups, and it's more the cups than the lids. Uh, but you know, the people are going to love this, and there's, I, I think you know, you'd you'd see some serious uh, action on. You think that's going to boost comps at Starbucks? You I'm think recommending that they spend. <laughs> A couple million dollars on some cup R and D over the next couple of years because the, the you know they'll have more delighted customers. That you know that is true. The satisfaction. I'm no, I don't know that the sales would go up. I think the satisfaction would go up. Yeah, and presumably they would cut down on cleaning costs inside the store. I mean, you need a couple coffee. couple million dollars of R and D because they're. I mean, okay, so Starbucks is. is Do you have a side R and D business that you're trying to promote here? <laughs> you keep throwing like I'm trying to wrap my head around two million dollars worth of R and D on well, cups. All right, so Star to their credit, right? They're taking the more environmentally conscious, you know, paper. I think um, route. And this is part of the reason why their cups are so awful. That is, is true. Is that you know Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's are destroying the planet with their you know styrofoam cups. They're awesome styrofoam. There cups. are perfectly round styrofoam cups which no never seam. leak on you. Yeah, no seam. And that's a choice that Starbucks has made. And I'm saying that a couple million dollars will will solve both halves of that equation. I think a phone call to Dunkin' Donuts would solve that problem. Just hey, where do you guys get your cups? Great. No, but uh, that's that's not no. Dunkin' Donuts is going to keep producing their better insulating styrofoam cups uh, because their audience is more committed to that. And a Starbucks audience is a little bit more environmentally conscious, perhaps, or, or certainly the management of the company is. And they are willing to sacrifice their customers' shoes and shirts. You know, I mean, it's more dry cleaning for that industry and and I don't think Starbucks is getting a cut of that but I mean that would be a great conspiracy theory <laughs> and in the meantime I'll I'll keep drinking their coffee and whining about you know why they can't give me a cup that doesn't leak we were talking before about acquisitions being sort of off focus from a company's main business if at some point in the future Starbucks announce announces they've taken like a 15% stake in some sort of Dixie cup or no, something. No, 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 a nationwide dry cleaning chain. <laughs> then we're going to know that it's all part of the conspiracy. Thanks for being here. Thank you. 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 